Welcome to refreshing, energizing business talk. This is Think Tank, conversations in a digital world, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Get ready to hear from industry executives and thought leaders on the best strategies and technologies to drive your business forward in times of uncertainty and accelerate success. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Very happy to be here. And if I got a topic for you, let's get started. I have a quote from HBR.org, Harvard Business Review, and this will set us up nicely. It's an important topic for everybody listening anywhere in the world. You're a consumer of something. You buy products. You want them to come to you when and how and where and in the right quality that you expect. Okay, we had something called a pandemic. Now let me get started with the HBR quote. Many companies did not fully prepare their supply chains to deal with the mounting and ongoing impact of the coronavirus epidemic. There are steps they can take to make sure their supply chains can better cope with other disruptive events coming down the road, including revisiting the design of their supply chain to ensure it is ultra agile and responsive to deal with what probably will happen down the pike future large-scale crises. So now let me give you a little more background before I ask my three esteemed guests to introduce themselves. The supply and demand foundations of the consumer product and retail sector, and we're going to call that CPR. Don't get it mixed up with the other CPR. Consumer product and retail. That's why I said it impacts everybody listening to the show. Have been massively shaken by the COVID-19 pandemic. Think about digital acceleration, online sales last year. Thank goodness we're already in just about the end of the first quarter of 2021. Online sales in 2020 were expected to increase at their fastest rate in 12 years, accounting for 20% of all retail purchases. That is big. But it came at a time of risk and disruption to supply. Think about what was happening in grocery stores. Think about pharmacies. Think about other retail outlets. How easy was it to buy toilet paper last year or to get yeast if you wanted to bake because you were stuck at home? And companies like Unilever were seeing a huge increase in demand for hand sanitizers but the non-essential beauty products, not so much. So to understand these challenges and how these CPR organizations are now responding, Capgemini launched a survey. Guess what? They spoke to more than 400 CPR executives in 11 countries. Just think about that geographically. That's a lot of people, a lot of places, a lot of organizations. Examining the impact of COVID-19 on their supply chains and how they are rethinking the ways they can accelerate supply chain resilience. So that's our topic today. And I'm so pleased to welcome Capgemini's Lindsay Mazza is with us. Also Capgemini's, his name is Gabriel, but he told me to call him Gabby, G-A-B-I, Ledesma. And we have SAP's Harris Fogel with us. And we're going to ask them for their take on building supply chain resilience in consumer products and retail. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And a shout out to Brad Borkin, the sponsor of this series at SAP and Susan Walker as well. So let's get started. Lindsay Mazza, so happy to have you here. I'm going to put you on full speaker view in case somebody gets to see the video at some point in time. You're going to meet Lindsay in just a second. Lindsay, would you please do us the honor of introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background, what you do at Capgemini and Lindsay. What's your passion for this topic? Talk to me and welcome. 
Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you so much for hosting us today. I'm so happy to be here with both Gabby and Harris, and of course, to join you, especially as we talk about my most passionate of areas. So hello, everyone. Hello, listeners. I'm Lindsay Mazza. I'm a retail industry insider, and I'm also Capgemini's group uh, global retail lead. I serve some of the world's largest retailers, the top retailers in developing their supply chain strategies and improving their merchandise and operational efficiency. I work with grocers, I work with fashion retailers, footwear companies, specialty retailers, all to integrate their demand to receipt business processes as well as technology, which enables them to have a real-time view of changes in demand as they're happening. It allows them to focus on providing what the customer needs or the customer wants. And all of us here in the audience on the panel and uh, hosting you today are all customers. At some point, we're shopping for groceries. We're doing that online and in-store. And we want that when, where, and how we want to be able to buy it. I'm also a parent to three small humans, and like our listeners, I'm well-versed in the disruption that's been caused by the global pandemic. Um, and I think the silver lining here is the learning that we can take with us to improve our future agility, our future ability to respond to changes in demand for the rest of the world from the customer point of view and from a life point of view. So, Bonnie, thank you so much for having me today. I'm glad to be here to be able to share what we think is coming and what uh, CPG companies and retailers can do in order to get ahead of enhancing their supply chains to make them disruption proof. Thank you, Lindsay. Very important. And as you echoed what I said in my opening, this topic impacts everybody everywhere who's listening. I don't care where you work or if you don't work. But Lindsay, we were all surprised. Many of us are surprised you couldn't get hand sanitizer. Okay, that became very important for cleanliness, for sanitizing yourself before you touch the mail, after you touch the mail, took in the groceries. But also we couldn't get toilet paper. We couldn't get yeast was going for something like $100 for a couple of little packets in the middle, in the beginning of the pandemic. We'll talk about this later. But the changes in demand were a surprise, not just to the companies offering them, and Harris is nodding and Gabby is as well, but to those of us who were consumers, why couldn't I get paper towels, paper napkins, wipes? Why couldn't I get toilet paper? Why couldn't I get baking supplies? So we were as much on a what as the people who were providing the goods. Very interesting. Lindsay, thank you for opening up the conversation with your bio. Gabby Ledesma, you're up next. Gabby, please do me the honor of introducing yourself and what's your passion for the topic. Welcome, Gabby. Thank you very much, Bonnie. And thank you everybody for having me here and sharing this forum with Harris and Lindsay. Similar to Lindsay, I have a captain in a role that is global and I support companies in the CPR space. Over the last two years, we've seen tremendous disruption and supply chains that were built to be lean and fast now have to readjust and become more resilient. And this is the topic of this conversation. And this is not just COVID. We can see on the vessel stack on the Swiss Channel now how it's important to actually have this resilient built in your supply chain. Uh, I have advised supply chains for 23 years, and I have customers that are global and local, and we can see how they are now starting to build agility uh, revisiting the diversity of sources. Uh, so no longer works to have one vendor in one country. You have to have more diversified sourcing base and also think about even manufacturing more locally to be able to respond faster if something occurs. Um, my family is all by home. <laughs> my, my girl from college is by home because of this uh, COVID disruption. Mm-hmm. So we've gotten used to order online. Things we would never think that we would order online because we'd like to touch or feel or smell like groceries. We're now ordering online. 
And we're used to receive those orders back in less than an hour. The service is great, and I think this is something that we're going to get used to. So companies out there need to be able to support this last mile in a very cost-efficient way to, to deliver this same day uh, for all their customers. Uh, so that's it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Get very, very interesting. Yes, there are changes that happened almost spur of the moment, right? While we were in it, while we were getting used to this new life called pandemic living, and those changes may keep, they may persist. They may be the new, we talk about the new ways of working, right? The workforce, where do we want to work? Where do we need to work? And how do we want to, how do we want to accept, to acquire, to obtain the goods and products we need and we want and how do companies respond? Last mile, great comment, Gabby. Harris Fogel, welcome. You're from SAP. Why don't you do me the honor, please, of introducing yourself? Welcome, Harris. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Um, It's an honor to be here with uh, you, Lindsay, and Gabby. Uh, I lead SAP's Consumer Products Business Unit globally and been a longtime consumer products uh, professional, I'll use that word, you know, working with leading CPG companies and CPR companies around the world to help them become more efficient and most recently help them transform digitally. You know, as, as we think about this, you say, what are you passionate about? You know, what, what's it about the topic that really excites you? Um, yeah, things have changed, no doubt, on a dime. You know, but what it's, uh, what it's, what it's uh, given us the opportunity is to think about end-to-end integrated business processes. How do all parts of an organization need to work together so that we can be agile, so that we can be flexible, so that we can, you know, turn on a dime, if you will. And so, you know, as we've been thinking about the world in the last year, that's where we've really been spending a lot of time on. I personally have been spending a lot of time on thinking about how all the different pieces, parts within our customers' worlds come together so that they can talk together in almost real time so they can, you know, really transform to serve us, the consumers, right? Because it's all about, uh, we'll call it on-shelf availability, you know, because at the end of the day, we want that product to be on the shelf or delivered to our doorstep, you know, via whatever mechanism. So, you know, yeah, that's what I'm passionate about. I'm excited to be here and I look forward to the conversation. Thank you very much, Harris. I have to do a shout out again to Brad Borkin, who put this show together. And I know some people helped in the background as well, but I can tell we have an extraordinarily passionate and insightful panel. And that's what we're going to deliver your insights, your passion, and your expertise to our audience. This is the part of the show, if somebody's just tuning in, where I've asked my guests in advance to please send me a quote from a movie from a TV show from a song. And we have a couple of song quotes today and a movie quote. And these quotes on the surface have absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And that's my way of getting them to engage you, our esteemed listener, in a way to what? She likes this movie. He likes that song. And they're going to relate the quotes to the topic in their own words. So we get to hear them think and speak, whether they're poetic, whether they're being, I don't know what, philosophical, we're going to hear how they think. So Lindsay Maza has sent us a quote from a beautiful song released in 1967, little background, very, very famous here. The song is What a Wonderful World. And it was recorded by Louis Armstrong, the late, very great, in 1967 as a single. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Lindsay, but it was a big success in the UK, but it did very badly in the US because the president of ABC Records didn't like the song and he wouldn't promote it. And then it happened. And here's where we link movies and songs. It happened. It appeared in. it was used in the film Good Morning Vietnam. And it was re-released in 1988, 21 years later. 
It went to number 32 on the Billboard Hot 100. And Armstrong, Louis Armstrong's recording was inducted in the Grammy Hall of Fame in 1999. And here is the lyric Lindsay has selected. This is beautiful. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I'm getting goosebumps. Lindsay, what in the world does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Bonnie, thank you so much for sharing that background. It is the link to the fact that the song did not perform well at first, but then was really successful after viewers saw it in relation to looking back on Vietnam War and what that really meant to Americans and our culture. And so as I look at looking backward at the pandemic and our ability to move forward into the future, I'm thinking about how do we go from this time of great tragedy, right? Personal, you know, perhaps professional for some, certainly in our organizations, you mentioned the disruption to not being able to get really items that we view as being critical to our daily lives. And so in the midst of that disruption, in the midst of this pandemic, the opportunity that it has given us to be closer to our neighbors, closer to our families, uh, closer to our uh, organizations and the culture that we have at work and a new way to work. Really, what a wonderful world it is and what a silver lining it is, because I I think the number one thing and and maybe kicking off for you here on a little bit of a controversial topic, um, the idea that we only came to where we are today as a result of the pandemic is doesn't hold water for me. The idea more so that we came here as a result of kind of a hockey stick curve where we saw a lot of indicators that said we needed to scale e-commerce and we needed to be where the customer was and what the customer wanted at any given point in their lives, wherever we needed to meet them, really started in the late 90s, early 2000s. And it's that knowledge that we've escalated from a scheduled delivery time to a uh, two-day window, to a one-day window, to a two-hour window, to a one-hour window, to immediacy at curbside and the need for me to be able to get something as I pull into, you know, a big box retailer's uh, curbside uh, pickup right then and there on the spot. And so that escalation of the consumer's demand only was magnified in COVID, but did not initiate during this COVID pandemic. And that opportunity for me gave us the silver lining of being able to look at our organizations as consumer products companies, as retailers, and take risks that we would not perhaps have been allowed to take had business maintained the status quo and really stayed the track of that hockey stick where maybe we would have reached where we are today by 2025. Because of the escalation of the COVID pandemic, our organizations in retail and CPG have gotten the opportunity to do things in the face of all of this adversity that we've had that we maybe wouldn't have had. So I look at this opportunity as what a challenge, what a great thing, and what a wonderful world, as Louis Armstrong said. Wow. (laughs) Thank you, Lindsay. That was very, very interesting. Um, I don't usually do this during the quotes, but you made such a provocative statement, which you you prefaced. I'm just going to quickly go around the table on your quote. It's not we're not in the round table yet with the discussion statements, but Gabby agree or disagree with Lindsay's comment, her observations in her point of view that this the current trend started way before the pandemic. What do you think, Gabby? Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, Lindsay, and we've seen things like tariffs uh, impacting supply chains uh, quite a bit too. So uh, there is also trends related to the digitization of supply chains. Uh, So companies are going to have to invest, uh, not just digitizing the supply chain, but also raising the skills of their people. So the traditional uh, role of planners is going to change. They're going to be 
uh, have to train in data science, in AI, in robots. Uh, the traditional job of just solving problems uh, is not enough. Uh, so I think uh, that disruption is there and companies are going to have to move there to, to this new digital world. And there is an opportunity for them to become better, uh, learn and upskill their, their people. Thank you very much, Harris Vogel. Your POV, what do you think? Join me. It's 100% agree. Um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, as they say. Well, we had a massive necessity to have online, you know, buy online, pick up in store. How many retailers accelerated, you know, that capability in the past mm-hmm. year? How many did it that were just messing around with it for years, rolling it out, piloting it, a couple of stores here, a couple of stores there, and then within a week, had it available in every single store in the chain. It's amazing what happens. You talked about Unilever and hand sanitizer. They spun up a factory that was producing deodorant, switched it over to producing hand sanitizer in four days. Wow. I mean, that's the kind of speed that we were able to um, to adapt with. And, And think about what it took at a leadership level at a company cultural level to be able to say, we have to, we want to, we need to, we will, we can, we are. Hey, I like the way that sounded. Yes, they had, they had to go from that concept of what does the world need? What do we need? We want to survive and thrive. We want to keep our customers. We want to help them out. Let's do it. And they did it. Lindsay, great point. Thank you. We don't usually take a quote and turn it into a roundtable, but you, you, you earned that one. So let's go to Gabby. Gabby has sent us another great quote from the movie A Few Good Men, 1992 American legal drama based on Aaron Sorkin's 1989 play of the same name. Revolves around the court martial of two U.S. Marines charged with the murder of a fellow Marine and the tribulations of their lawyers as they prepare a case to defend their clients. And this is statement by the one and only Jack Nicholson playing base commander, Colonel Nathan Jessup. And here's the quote, five words, you can't handle the truth. Oh, Gabby, I get chills when I hear that one. What does that have to do with our topic today? Gabby, you're up. So uh, when we conducted the research last uh, month of uh, September, October, we found that two-thirds of CPR companies uh, acknowledged that they had been disrupted and they had to do something about it. But there is still one-third that didn't respond the same way. And I think that you have to now handle the new truth. To put it in a different way, it's important for them. Uh, They have to understand they cannot continue running their supply chains on a very just-in-time kind of way. Uh, And they have to... uh, do four things. The first one is to establish a strategy to support resiliency. And that includes understanding the cost of uh, actually implementing resiliency in your supply chain. The second one is to anticipate uh, a little bit of uh, what disruptions may be uh, by building end-to-end visibility and having the capabilities to run continuous plans and simulations. And finally, build uh, capabilities to uh, support uh, when you have a disruption and that includes uh, building a strong relationship with partners as well as as you said with Unilever they from day one were able to actually move their production to the products that were selling out there in the market they're what's called a COVID winner uh, they in fact won uh, market share in 60% of their markets uh, so that's what it means being resilient and it's important in the future so you have to handle the truth 
Thank you very much. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Great quote. Thank you very much, Gabby. Very appropriate. Harris has sent us a song, another song, quote, this is from the seventh studio album by American pop singer-songwriter Jimmy Buffett. I want to put on the, the straw hat and get a, something good to drink, you know, a little something on the rim. The song is Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes. It was his breakthrough album in 1977. It's the best-selling album ever of Jimmy Buffett's entire career, and it contains the drink song, Margaritaville. Hey, when I do open mic here, and I'm a drummer, when I host open mic and produce it in my community, somebody always does this as a group sing-along song, Margaritaville. Yes. So I want to read a little bit of the lyrics, Harris, if you don't mind, so that our listeners who aren't familiar, how could somebody not know this? <laughs> but anyway, here we go. These changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes. No, I'm not going to sing anymore. Nothing remains quite the same through all of the islands and all of the highlands. If we couldn't laugh, we would all go insane. And the second chorus is, with these changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes, nothing remains quite the same. With all of my running... And all of my cunning. If I couldn't laugh, I just would go insane. If we couldn't laugh, we just would go insane. If we weren't all crazy, we would go insane. So the line Harris officially picked is, if we couldn't laugh, we would all go insane. Harris, rescue me here. I'm getting into Margaritaville mode here. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I thought about wearing a, yeah, a floral shirt, my Hawaiian shirt for this. And, and we know it's five o'clock somewhere. That's right. So, yeah. Okay. So, you know, this is just very simple. Um, I think that life is all about attitude, a positive attitude. And, you know, as we think about supply chain resilience, we think about being agile and nimble. If you have the right attitude, you're going to get through and you're going to come up with the right solution. I don't take myself too seriously, personally. Um, and I think that's just the, you know, my personal opinion. You know, that, that's, you know, how you can stay focused on the prize, get through it, have a great attitude. Um, and, and in our world, serve our customers, you know, to, to the fullest extent. So I don't know. That's, I, I wish I had a more eloquent answer for you, but just, you know, attitude is, you know, makes the world go round and the positive attitude, I guess, is, uh, is, is how we get through tough times. I love it. And, you know, attitude and latitude. Think about it, Harris. The latitude didn't matter where you were. COVID hit everybody, right? And we all needed to have a change of attitude, regardless of where we were. And products needed to get to different latitudes. I'm getting very literal here. Thank you for that, <laughs> Harris. I really appreciate the quote. Now we're getting into the real roundtable. But before we do, I have a question for you, Lindsay. Just a very brief answer, if you will. Question is, I referred in my opening and I was asked to talk about CPR, what is it? Uh, consumer, what are we calling this? Consumer, consumer product, product and, and retail. retail. And you mentioned CPG, which is consumer packaged goods. So what are we calling it officially for the rest of the show? Usually the CP is shortened from either consumer products or consumer packaged goods and retail. So CP and R. Thank you very much. Okay, CP and R. There you go. I sit corrected. So let's go to your statement number two. Lindsay Maza, I'm looking at statement number two, and you say CPG and retail organizations will move from demand planning to demand sensing to react to real-time changes in consumer demand. I'm going to stop there and let you. Lindsay, why don't you take about two and a half minutes or so, and then we will ask Gabby Ledesma and Harris Vogel to agree or disagree. Gentlemen, it's okay to disagree with her as long as you have a good reason for it. So, Lindsay, you're up. Go ahead. Thank you, Bonnie. So, Bonnie, I, this real-time changes in demand, what does that even mean? It means that consumers 
are changing their buying behavior based on things that we never understood before or we didn't have access to before. So previously, I may have thought of a set of static attributes that would have described a product. So, you know, think about the form and the functionality of the product and what it really offers and then why a consumer might buy that. So what would cause a consumer to buy a product? In the past, that was really all descriptions of the product. In the current day, that has become opportunity for social influence to change the consumer buying pattern. Because we were all home, you mentioned earlier, the demand for yeast spiked. But is it really because we were all home and wanted to bake? Or is it because celebrities or other cultural influencers said, I'm making banana bread this week, join me in making that? And so therefore consumers that maybe had never baked before wouldn't have thought of using, you know, and banana bread's not a yeast product, but maybe (laughs) wouldn't have thought about using yeast before. We're doing something different than they ever had before because they saw someone else do it and looked intriguing and they wanted to participate in that group cultural activity. And so that changed the demand in season when retailers could no longer plan for what needed to reach the shelf, when manufacturers or CPGs, consumer packaged goods companies, consumer products companies really generated the actual supply, manufactured that off the line to be able to sell to retailers, to sell to consumers. And so what has happened is those shifts are happening closer to the real-time purchase than have ever happened in before. And we have access to uh, dynamic attribution of those products now that we didn't have before through the use of AI or machine learning, cognitive computing that supplies us with information and data about what the consumer may choose tomorrow or two hours from now versus in six months from now for future plans. And what we found is during 2020, 63% of consumers wanted grocery delivery to their homes more than once a week. Mm -hmm. And the thing is about that, that they really wanted that to be um, delivered for free and immediately. They wanted it delivered today, tonight for dinner, because I'm preparing at lunch to think, what on earth will I cook my family tonight? And that really means that consumers changed what the expectation of a retailer was. So to be very specific, 55% of consumers in 2020 wanted a two-hour delivery window on when they could have products that they ordered online. Only 19% of retailers were able to offer this capability. And what that meant was we really could not meet the demand. But the good news is the future is both digital and human. So the human part of our planning cycle, where we're able to give information as to why that attribute is the one where the consumer chose that particular product or had a propensity to buy based on that, and digital in that there's machine learning and cognitive that are able to supply us with some of those answers. And the exciting part is that we are really able to be influenced in a way that we weren't before by the rest of the collective culture. And as companies, retailers, and CPGs, we're able to be prescriptive about how we can make that demand happen and use cognitive and AI to consider what has not yet even been on the horizon of what consumers want. Helping consumers to say they're ready to buy and what it is that they're going to buy as predicted by us, making us better at being able to meet the demand when, how, where they want it in the quantity that they want it. Thank you, Lindsay. Very, very interesting 
Gabby, why don't you join us, please? Agree or disagree? Take your two and a half minutes and add your thought leadership. Gabby Ledesma, go ahead. I agree. Uh, demand planning the traditional way is no longer the way to predict yourselves. You cannot use history. You couldn't predict uh, last Christmas with the Christmas from the last previous two years because obviously the disruption in demand has been huge. So demand sensing is the way to go. Uh, at the same time, you have to understand how to better approach demand sensing. Social media is one area where consumer product companies can look at what consumers are thinking about their products in real time. So having that feedback back into your demand and your supply chain is critical. Uh, but I will also say a, a word of caution because that delivery that Lindsay is talking about, the last mile delivery, is extremely expensive. So companies are rushing to provide that service. That consumers, by the way, expect that you have this one-hour, two-hour delivery. And for free. Truth for free. Uh, and the truth is that uh, it is, it's a competition that it's just costing companies a lot of money. We, in our research, found out that the profit of these companies is going to be reduced by 26% over the next, the next few years just to provide these capabilities. So optimizing your omni-channel is critical. If you're somebody uh, or retailer that has stores, making those stores available for fulfillment, if you're somebody that is purely online, opening some micro warehouses or even the stores that have some sort of showroom concept, but it allows you to be closer to your consumers. So those are the trends we see. Uh, opportunity, also a lot of cost. Thank you very much. Very interesting about the last mile and the cost that evolves. And goodness sake, I, I didn't expect anything for free except things I had under my Amazon Prime membership. And I, I didn't get anything the next, the same day or within an hour. I must have been a very low demand consumer because I was happy to get something the next day or two days later. I don't know. Maybe I already had the yeast for my non-banana bread, Lindsay. It was actually, I offered to sell people some of the yeast I had because it's good for about two years, the little Fleischmann's packets. Let's go around the table. Harris, we're waiting for you to please chime in on this. We had Lindsay's topic and Harris, you used, I'm sorry, Gabby, used the statement I was going to call on for you for your first one. So we've already blended in last mile costs. Harris, you've got a lot to comment on. Go ahead. Okay. Well, um, listen, you know, I, I agree, by the way, with Lindsay on the whole demand sensing topic. You know, traditionally, you know, we, we've looked at, you know, the, the promotional plans, the trade promotion plans from a manufacturer's perspective. What I'm going to sell in my, to my particular retailer, we need to make sure that my supply chain is aligned to, uh, to ensure that the product is in the right place at the right time. Uh, but now we've, we've, we've gone to the digital world as well. So that's really, you know, you change the process. So as we think about, you know, the e-commerce channels, the direct-to-consumer channels, the traditional brick-and-mortar channels, right, and understanding, you know, the social media influences, you know, that means that we need to be much more agile and much more um, flexible in how we meet consumer demand. And it's not just about, you know, what the demand is, but where it is. Right. I mean, I may have a manufacturing facility and on the East Coast, but my demand is on the West Coast. So how do I plan for that to make sure that my transportation and my um, manufacturing and my supply chain and logistics are aligned to um, to meet the demand on the West Coast when the production is on the East Coast, if that's the case. So 100 percent, you know, demand and supply, the integration collaborative planning, you know, you know, is uh, is really important for the future and leveraging those digital channels. And listen, you know, we're going to see the whole topic of revenue growth management and revenue growth planning and revenue growth optimization explode, you know, as, as we look to the new world order, if I can call it that. 
New World Order. I like that very much. You know what? I'm going to move on because I want to make sure we cover. We've only got 15 minutes left. I want to make sure we cover a lot more topics, but we're certainly taking a very broad view of this. Gabby Ledesma, I'm looking at your statement number one, and there is something in here you talk about, given the vast difference in supply chain requirements for consumer products companies to deliver to retailers and consumers, the direct-to-consumer sales will take a new organizational emphasis going forward. Why don't we talk about that direct-to-consumer? Who's doing it? What does it mean? Is it something we can all expect? Gabby, give us the background on this, please. Yeah, so we, we, we know we talk about retailers being able to manage their own channel and close to the consumers. If you're a CP consumer product company, you've been working through your retailers. And now through the pandemic, you realize that there is an opportunity for you as a CP company to build your uh, direct-to-consumer capabilities, always managing the relationship with your retailers. But it also gives these CP companies an opportunity to reach out to the consumers in a different way. So build loyalty programs, get information from those consumers, and put that information back into the supply chain, the product development, etc. Uh, what we've seen is that post-pandemic, uh, people are going to still continue buying online. They've gotten used to the convenience of value post. You mentioned before how in 2020, the growth of online sales was so humongous in the United States. That's going to continue to be that way. We're also seeing some company, so, some product categories like food uh, that were used to be bought in person because people wanted to go to the grocery and touch the product, smell the product. They are now comfortable buying those products online. And finally, uh, we're seeing CP companies strengthen their omnichannel capabilities. And it's uh, an array of options that they have from starting just understanding the consumer to being able to sell direct. And this is going to be an area of uh, opportunity for CP companies as long as they manage their entire channel in a proper way. Thank you, Gabby. Let's go around the table. Harris Vogel, you happen to be sitting virtually next to Gabby, whether you knew it or not. So why don't you comment on what he said, agree or disagree, and Lindsay, you'll wrap this one up, and then I'll pick a, a statement from Harris. Go ahead, Harris. What do you think? Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Director consumer, obviously, is exploding. Um, and you made the opening statement, which is, uh, you know, we absolutely agree with, you know, but it, it's causing challenges, right, for the, um, for the, for the, like for the manufacturers, you know, and you know, the manufacturers obviously are, are starting to you know, beef up their direct-to-consumer on their own sites, you know, but they're still dealing with the, uh, the marketplaces and their retailers. So think Amazon, you know, and, and a lot of CPG manufacturers or consumer products manufacturers, you know, are delivering their goods to the, you know, Amazon or Walmart DCs who then, um, you know, send it to the consumers. But in some cases, you know, those marketplaces are now asking the manufacturers to fulfill on their behalf. So the order comes into the marketplace like Amazon and Walmart, and then they send it to the manufacturer who then serves as the distribution facility or fulfillment center. That causes some interesting challenges when a manufacturer is used to sending out cases and pallets to now all of a sudden have to do eaches and units. Mm. You know, that's a new way of thinking. So talk about acceleration. Um, you know, this has caused a, a new way of working, a new way of thinking about how do I serve my customers and my end consumers in a very efficient and flexible way. Because when that order comes in, it's got to go. You know, as, as, as Gabby and, and Lindsay said earlier, we want it today. You said you're used to, you know, Amazon Prime being free. 
right? It is, right? We love it. And yep. in some cases, we can get it today. Well, you know, we're not going to wait. You know, we've got that same expectation, you know, if it's coming from the manufacturer directly. So lots of opportunity, lots of challenges, and excited for the future on um, in, in implementing these solutions. Very interesting. Thank you. Lindsay, join us. What do you think? Well, here's tomato, tomato, right? It's uh, you say challenges, I say opportunities. I'm over here like you with the everything is the positive attitude about it. And I'm looking at the wonderful world. And I say that the real change that we're making in from a retail community and a CPG community is it's not a supply chain anymore. We And again, controversy, we are using this terminology supply chain since as long as I've been working in this profession. But I really think that we are now in the age of intelligent supply networks. And a supply network means we're moving away from the idea that you go from the manufacturer to the distributor to the retail distribution center to the store to the consumer, the traditional linear supply chain, into what's really a network. And you fulfill the consumer need from wherever the point in the supply availability that you can get the product, whether that is through the marketplace from the manufacturer directly, whether that's through the retailer themselves, either online or in store on your phone, wherever you may be, or whether that is from any distribution center, uh, whether that's direct ship or whether that is coming through you know, a different packaging. But it means that as Harris said, as the retailer and the CPG, we have to think about the agility and the flexibility that we put in terms of packing eaches or packing rainbow packs or being able to ship pallets and, and get that to the consumer. So when I when I look at this as a major opportunity, I think in the retail landscape that we can see things like dark stores become available so that I can meet that delivery window much faster. Uh, that is a location where a consumer can't go to shop, but that gig economy or delivery resources can come to almost shop the aisles or shop a back room in order to get products there. I'm also looking at micro fulfillment centers, things like Walmart is, is achieving right now, opening you know these very, very small backroom micro fulfillment where I'm able to get hyper local down to where within five to 10 miles of where the consumer actually lives and wants the product delivered. I'm looking at AI and automation and robotics as I see Amazon test pilot in big markets in the United States and beyond the ability to send, you know, a cooler to someone's door that they scan a QR code on their phone and it opens up and delivers their product to them. And I'm also looking at gig economy. I mean, part of this wonderful world to me is that in the response to our survey, 55% of consumers actually said that they would be willing to deliver products to their neighbors in their vicinity if they had gone shopping. And that is a pretty amazing experience to be able to move from this world where we maybe didn't know our neighbor to a world where they're going to deliver your product for you in on behalf of you know this opportunity to create an economy where there was not one before. So I love the idea of this intelligent supply network where the product can come from anywhere at any time and I can collaborate across retailers, across CPGs, and across the rest of the consumer community to get a customer their product. Thank you very much, Lindsay. That was an interesting topic you started, Gabby. We have a few minutes left. I want to go to Harris. Harris, we're going to look at number four here is something I don't think we've touched on yet. You say there was a positive trend toward increased reliance on co-pack and co-man. And you're going to have to explain that one. Facilities, <laughs> but you know where I'm going with that. By CP companies in the future, this will allow them to innovate on new products faster be agile in manufacturing and respond to consumer needs. And that's all a loaded statement, responding, innovating, 
being agile in making them and responding to what the consumer wants. And I'm not sure that's even going to be the order of, of priority there. So Harris, talk to us. What are we talking about here? Well, listen, it, it's all about you know, networks and having the right suppliers and the right partners you know, in the ecosystem today. Um, as a manufacturer, you know, I may have my own facilities, but let's just say that I'm responding to um, consumer demand for new products. Maybe it's a sustainable packaging. Maybe it's um, you know, um, non-GMO organic ingredients, whatever the consumer wants. But I need to spin up the capability to deliver that very quickly. So do I change out all my lines? Do I change out my, you know, my existing production facilities? Or do I have the right partners with, who can co-manufacture my products for me? who can pack them for me and ship them for me so that I can be agile and nimble to meet that consumer demand very quickly and be very flexible in my supply chain. So lots of opportunity here, you know, when we think about, you know, product innovation, you know, co-packing, co-manufacturing, and even to the last, you know, conversation that we just had, you know, about the eaches using, um, you know, third-party packers to do the eaches if I need to do that to fulfill, you know, my retailer's um, needs or in my consumer's needs. So listen, you know, it opens up a whole world. And if I've got the right strategic partners that can pivot on a dime with me and allow me to extend my flexibility and extend my capabilities, I'm in good shape. Think about the digital startups. Think about the digital natives. Do they have packing facilities? Do they have manufacturing facilities? Nope. They're using co-packers and co-manufacturers and they're innovating at light speed. And, you know, large and small alike, we need to be able to do this. And I think it's, you know, you know bringing um, opportunity to, uh, to the market and to the industry. Thank you very much. Good points, Harris. Appreciate that. Lindsay, you've got about two minutes to respond, agree or disagree with Harris. Go oh, ahead. I couldn't agree more, Harris. I'm so pleased to hear it. And I think the idea that you're talking about co-packers and co-manufacturers really, you know, lends additional credibility to the idea of these supply networks versus the traditional supply chain. So I'm thrilled to, to explore that with our clients right now as we proceed into this new world of bringing intelligence in and understanding what is going to be the demand at the moment in season to be able to really do integrated operations and evaluate what the, you know, formerly called SNOP processes are back upstream with the CPG companies and consumer products companies to understand what that looks like and to further be able to move towards touchless planning and management only by exception of what the um, demand is going to be so that we can identify the opportunity areas where we'll use co-packers and co-manufacturing. Thank you very much, Gabby. Talk to us. What do you think? I agree with both uh, Harris and Lindsay. I mean, we've seen the companies in the food business, uh, their food services channel was closed down with restaurants looking at uh, losing that venue of revenue. And those that were able to move their production quickly to the retail channel, uh, they were able to actually compensate for that loss. But not everybody was able to do that. And that's where the concept of agility and visibility and being able to work with your partners comes in. And it's extremely important in these times of uh, finding resilience. Thank you very much. Interesting conversation. We have a couple minutes left, and I think we're going to go to our crystal ball predictions right now. So I'm going to give you each 60 seconds, and that 60 seconds can include two long dashes, three commas, one semicolon, an exclamation point, 
and uh, a couple of, of ellipses, dot, dot, dot. So it could be a long one sentence. Lindsay Maza, I'm pulling you up first. Please go ahead. What do you see coming up the road, down the pike? We're talking about consumer products. We're talking about packaged goods. We're talking about supply chain resiliency. And whether people know it or not, if you don't have that supply chain, you aren't getting what you want. They're not going to be able to make it. They're not going to be able to get it to you. It won't exist. It's important, but everybody doesn't talk about, hey, how's your supply chain doing? Unless you're in the business, nobody's having that conversation over coffee or drinks or on a Zoom call. So that's why it's so important. Lindsay, predictions, 60 seconds. That's all we've got. Go. Bonnie Harris, Debbie, and I are talking all the time over coffee about what was happening in the supply chain industry (laughs) with all of our friends in our community. But I'll give you the prediction. The prediction is safety and sustainability will be king. And our ability to make consumers feel safe is what's going to keep them loyal to our brands and help us fulfill their personal brand ethics as they shop with us. What we're seeing is 77% of consumers really say that they'll switch because of issues with cleanliness, health, and safety. We've got 54% of consumers responding that they prefer local and regional products to ones that were made or sourced far away, and 62% of consumers that are going to switch to brands with higher levels of product safety as well. So we're really looking at sustainable choices, safe choices, clean choices for both the consumer and the workforce that's selling it to the personal consumer. You covered a lot. Thank you very much, Lindsay. Very, very good prediction. And I like the positivity in there. You have to look at all the elements in order to be able to address all of the needs. I'm not wagging my finger at you. I'm just waving it. Uh, <laughs> I'm agreeing, agreeing visually. <laughs> Gabby, I've got 60 seconds for your prediction. Love to hear it. Go ahead. I think for retailers and CP companies out there, they have to win the last mile. And this is going to be critical for the success in the next few years. And winning the last mile is not just providing the best service to the consumers, but it's also, as we said, managing the cost. So work on your omnichannel capabilities, make the most out of your network, and win out there in the market in the last mile. Thank you very much. Harris Fogel, you get the last, last word. Go ahead, Harris. I'm going to add a, 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 another dimension to sustainability, and we'll think about the source to consumer traceability. That's going to be really, really important in the future. Understanding, you know, where the ingredients have come from um, all through the chain, you know, from the farmer in Africa where the cocoa bean was picked all the way through to the end consumer and how it was mixed to make sure it was ethically sourced because we as consumers want to know that about this. But it's not just about the ingredients in the product. It's about the ingredients in the packaging. We want to know that if it's, um, you know, recycled fiberboard or recycled plastic, it's really important to us. You know, so that, you know, we're, we're all stewards. Hopefully you're good stewards of the world and making the world a better place for the next generation. And, you know, as consumers, we can drive that change. Thank you. Well, that was an interesting message, Harris. Thank you for bringing that into the prediction. You're absolutely right. Um, I had a friend who was complaining that his, a friend in New York, where I, I moved to Durham three years ago from New York, and he lives in an apartment building with very thin walls and very thin floors, and complaining that people downstairs play music, loud music every night. They're kids. Nobody, nobody's paying attention to them. And he wanted to go out and buy dampening for the floor. And I said, do you know what it's made of? 
Do you know where it comes from? Do you, are you going to ask those questions? And the answer was, what? Okay, we'll leave that one alone. So yes, we, we need to know. It's part of us as consumers, but also what are people selling us? That's Brad Borkin. That's a whole other topic. We got to get these people back on another topic. Thank you. Lindsay Mazza, it's been such a pleasure tapping into your, your expertise and your wonderful passion for the topic. We appreciate it. Gabby Ledesma, such a pleasure to meet you as well, both of our people from Capgemini today, wonderful partner of SAP and Harris Vogel. And Harris, I'm looking at your digital, your uh, virtual background. Is that a, a retail store? I'm seeing wine on shelves. What else am I seeing there? Sure. It's, sure. it's definitely sure. <laughs> in the spirit of store. In the spirit of the show, yes, I can see anything I want there. So everybody, we want to thank Brad Borkin and thank you to Matt from from a Voice America Business Channel for being our engineer today. And I'm just going to close by saying join us next time, coming soon for another episode of Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World with New Perspectives from SAP, Strategic Partners on Business, IT, and Innovation. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody be safe, be smart, be savvy. You know what you need to do. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning into Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Keep the conversation going by tweeting your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAP Radio. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel next time.